Well, good morning again. My name is Jordan. I, like I said, I'm one of your pastors here at Christ Covenant Church, and I missed you guys last week. I was not here, and it feels weird when I'm not here because I love my church family very, very, very much, so it's good to be back. I was in Kansas City, Missouri, and yeah, why? No, the reason is, is because my best friend, one of my best friends of over 20 years, actually met him in the youth group here at Christ Covenant about 20 years ago. His name's Michael Pusinski. Um, he was, he's getting married, and, and his, uh, his wife now, her family's from Kansas City, Missouri, and so um, they just thought it would be easier if uh, we, we went up there. And so he asked me to officiate his wedding, which I was very honored, and I was also one of the groomsmen. And I don't know if you know a lot about me, but one of, one of the things you need to know about me is I'm from Miami, and I very rarely travel north of Broward County. <laughs> I like South Florida. I don't plan on ever leaving. This is my home. And I've only on, on maybe a handful of occasions been in weather that's colder than 50 degrees throughout my lifetime. Only a handful of occasions. So um, concerned, I started packing and um, we came to Kansas City. And of course, it was 20 degrees. And uh, so I was freezing. My body went to shock. Um, I was convulsing. And, uh, and everything was okay because, you know, I had enough layers and everything for the, for the weekend. The only problem was is that being part of the bridal party, um, I had to take pictures, and the pictures were outside. Now, not only were they outside, but uh, it was in different destinations, and we took a trolley to each, des de each destination. No problem, on the trolley, I'm all covered up. But when you it's time to take the pictures, you can't wear your gloves or your beanie or your coat. You gotta be in your suit, you gotta pretend like you're not freezing cold, right? <laughs> so we're outside, the sun's going down, and we're all taking these pictures, and I'm not lying, at least, half a dozen times the photographer asked me to stop shaking. He said it was blurry. That's how bad I was shaking. So I was sitting there like, oh. But we survived, the wedding was very nice. And I uh, returned home to like 50 degree weather on Sunday night and I'm like, what is happening? But uh, I have since then warmed up. But isn't it the most wonderful time of the year, especially in South Florida? We love Christmas, right? Everybody loves Christmas. Christmas is a wonderful time of the year. And part of the reason we love Christmas so much is because we love all the Christmas stories, right? We love Christmas movies, right? Who here loves Christmas movies? We love Christmas movies at my house. Oh, everybody here, think of your favorite Christmas movie. Die Hard. Die Hard. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Michael, what's your favorite Christmas movie? Sorry, Matthew, what's your favorite Christmas movie? Forgive me. Polar Express, nice. Ash. Elf. Elf, classic. Smiling's my favorite. Okay. Drew, what's your favorite Christmas movie? The Grinch, of course it is. Teenage football player, The Grinch. Tough. Um, yeah, we love, we love Christmas movies. Um, we love Christmas stories. And I just wanted to bring that up to tell you that nothing compares to the original. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Nothing compares to the original Christmas story. And sometimes that escapes us. It escapes us because there's a lot of, a lot of lights and there's a lot of songs. And, and I've watched Frosty the Snowman about a hundred times at my house because my son loves it. And you just sometimes you forget what we are celebrating. I like the way J.I. Packer puts it, that there's nothing in fiction so fantastic as the incarnation of Christ Jesus. And out of all the stories and all the heroes that we know and love, nothing compares 
to the fulfillment of thousands of prophecies over centuries, and then one day, boom, virgin is pregnant, and it's time to save the day. That is the real story of what happened on Christmas. A hymn puts it, our God was made low. Our God was made low to raise us up. God and sinners reconciled. I read somewhere that as Jesus, let, as Jesus was laying asleep in the, major, in the manger, he was also holding the universe together. What? Wow. Couldn't that be? The infinite becoming an infant? What? A couple weeks ago, I had the opportunity to introduce this series, which we're calling for Unto Us, A Child is Born. This is a series based around a prophecy found in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And I gave the context of his prophecy. God's people had basically turned their back on him. They were living rebelliously. They were praying to, to anything else but the Lord, any other gods they could find for comfort, for needs, and stuff like that. And they thought they were alone and abandoned and oppressed, but God... So fit, gives Isaiah this prophecy that promised them a savior. God had not abandoned them. And Isaiah describes the savior as a child, which the government will lean on. And he gives them four titles, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. In the past two weeks, Pastor Brian has gone over wonderful counselor and mighty God. And this week, we get to look at everlasting father. Now, these are titles or names that Isaiah is prophesying about the coming Messiah, who would come, Jesus would come, 700 years later in a manger in a little town called Bethlehem, and he'd be given his first name. Now, names, like Pastor Brian talked about two weeks ago, are important, right? Name, names had a lot of meaning, especially in the biblical times, what, what your name uh, said kind of who you were. And so Jesus was given the name Jesus Bar Joseph son of Joseph, but Jesus means, the word, the name Jesus means to deliver, or to rescue, or savior, and that was the name that the angels told Mary and Joseph to name their son. In Matthew one twenty one, an angel says, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, Jesus is the most titled man throughout all of history as in just giving the most titles. They believe to be over 200 titles for Jesus. And what I mean, I'll give you some examples just to show you what I mean. The second person of the Trinity is called Son of God, Son of Man, Emmanuel, Lamb of God, the Lion, the Way, the Truth, the Life, the Good Shepherd, the Cornerstone, Savior, Lord, Lord, Light of the World, Prince of Peace, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Bread of Life, Deliverer, the Great High Priest, the True Vine, on and on and on and on and on. Believe to be over 200 titles or names for this Jesus. Most in, throughout history, not even, nobody's even second. But he's most commonly referred to Jesus Christ. Now, a common misconception, maybe not so much in this room, but outside the church, is that Jesus Christ is his first and last name. This is a mistake. Christ is actually a title. That's a title that's given to Jesus. And the word Christ comes from the Greek translation Christos, which comes from the Hebrew translation for Messiah, which means the anointed one. So in our language today, since it's a title, it'd be easier for us to say or understand Christ Jesus, because it's a title. 
It's like, you know, Dr. Davis, Pastor Jordan. It's Christ Jesus. And Christ himself declares this title is true. When he says in Luke 4, when Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, which we're reading from today, was given to Jesus. Jesus unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me, Christ. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him, and he said, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Mic drop. He says, I'm here. He said, this scroll that we've been reading from, that we've been waiting, that you have been waiting for 700 years since this has been written, today it's been fulfilled, for I am the anointed one, the Christ. Therefore, from then on, he was known as Christ Jesus to his followers. This series is about four names, four titles of Christ. This is a prophecy of who Jesus was going to be. And so again, today we are looking at Christ as the everlasting Father. So if you have your Bibles or follow along on the screen, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, hear the word of God. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This finishes the reading of God's Word. Now, when I found out that uh, I was going to preach on Everlasting Father, I wasn't thrilled. Because out of the four, it's the one I understood the least. You know, when I referred to Jesus as the Prince of Peace, Mighty God, Wonderful Counselor, those are easy for me to understand. But when I hear Jesus referred to as the Everlasting Father, even as a preacher, I was a little confused. I've read, that, I've read that a thousand times, but I never really thought about it. Because isn't that the job of God the Father, the first person in the Trinity? In the Trinity? Anybody else think that when you, when you heard that? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. I began to study more, and I found out that Isaiah is not confusing the roles of the Trinity. He is not attributing Jesus to having God the Father's job. The Son of God is Jesus, and he has his job. And God the Father is the Father, the Creator. He has his job. But what this is referring to as Jesus as an everlasting father is describing Jesus' character or describing Jesus' relationship to the people he was coming to save. Now, I know the word father can stir about a lot of emotions in each individual here. Father could be a good word or a bad word. For me, father's a good word. I have a great father. I have a wonderful, godly father whom I love and respect and couldn't say a, a, a bad thing about him. He's, he's raised me and taught me how to be a father. And so for that, that word father for me is comforting. It means safety. It means provider. It means unconditional love. That's what father means for me. But I know that's not true of everybody. Some of you in here are thinking, well, father to me means abandonment or non-existent or abusive, unattentive, or harsh. 
But either way, good or bad, that word father means something to all of us. So we can understand why the writer would put this in there. But whatever it means to you, you understand that father means something. And, and I'll tell you, being a father changed, changes the way I see everything. I've been a father now for four years, and it's been my joy. And it's made me really appreciate my own father, um, just being a father and knowing all that comes with it. And it's all, it changed my life for the better, for sure. But it's not always easy. Um, I was thinking, you know, yesterday, uh, I, my son's old enough to be on a soccer team now, right? He's four. So he plays soccer. We're Team France. And um, so when you're four years old, it's five versus five. And you originally had eight players. I've had three already quit, so I have five left. And so basically, it's, it's, if you ever watch four-year-olds play soccer, it's just like a beehive that just moves. It follows the ball just everywhere it goes, right? And so my job as the coach, which I'm allowed to be on the field, is just to make sure, you know, of course, oh, yeah, the kids are having fun, doing sports. But it's really just like make sure they don't get hurt, and they're not hitting each other, and they're not over there playing in the sand, or that one's walking into the parking lot or getting lost. Actually, now I think about it, it's a lot like how I take care of my chickens, but anyway, it's, it's, just, it's just making sure that they're all there, right? And I remember after the first game, I was like, I never, oh, I didn't mention, I got roped into coaching, right? So I'm the coach. And so I remember after the first game, I said to myself, I'm never, ever doing this again, coaching. And then I just thought, man, I was four-year-old. I was four once, and I played soccer, and my dad was the coach, was one of the coaches. And so he went through the same thing. But what my dad went on to do for the next 12 years of my soccer career was he went and got certified in the state of Florida in coaching. He uh, became the head of coaches for AYSO. He had never played soccer in his entire life. But he had did, done all that for me. He wanted, he, wanted, he wanted to be equipped as a father to be able to support something that I love to do. And so that, that's, what a father, that's what a father does and what he has done for me. But here in Isaiah, inspired by God, Jesus descri Isaiah describes Jesus as a father. He describes the child. Remember, he says, a child is born to us, and he will be everlasting father, which is, like, to begin with. But this is how he describes him, because he says father to describe the child's relationship to the people that he will save one day. So how is Jesus a father? Well, I think Jesus is actually a father in many ways, and Probably the most obvious way we'll start with is Jesus is a father because he's like a good earthly father. So that's the best example I think we have. A good earthly father loves his kids. A good earthly father is compassionate for his kids. A good earthly father would do anything for their kids. And while this description of Jesus being an everlasting father is super layered and deep, it's also pretty simple. Isaiah says, you know, you know what a good earthly father is? Yeah. It's like, that's what Jesus is going to be like. It's going to be comforting. When you're in need, you can just wrap, wrap yourself in his arms. When you're hurt, he's going to help you feel better. You know, he's going to be your number one supporter. He's going to represent you. When you're sad, he's going to cheer you up. This is what Jesus is going to be like as a, as a father, like a good earthly father. He wants to take care of you, comfort you, listen to you, provide for you, lead you, help you. In Psalm 103, this description of this relationship says, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Another way that Jesus is a father is he's a founder of a nation. Who is the founder of 
United States. George Washington. Come on, guys. Um, <laughs> and so we call him that because he founded the country. He fought in the Revolution War and led the troops, and he wanted he won us land. Just like Jesus. Guess who started Christianity? Christ. He's the founder of that movement that will be a part of his eternal kingdom forever and ever. Kingdom. That's another way Jesus is a father. He referred to kings as father of the land. Kings and queens, father and mother of the land. Jesus is the king. He's the father of heaven. Jesus is also a father in the sense that he's the head of the family. Scripture tells us that Jesus is the head of the church, which I think is important to remember. Pastor Brian's not the head of this church. Pastor Joe's not the head of this church. Pastor Jordan's not the head of this church. The elders aren't the head of this church. The deacons aren't the head of this church. Christ is the head of Christ's covenant church. It's important to remember. Scripture also tells us that Christ Jesus is the headship or representative of all believers, as a father would be to his family. You know, throughout history, there have been two times where somebody's been pointed the head representative of mankind. The first one is all of us in here are related. Adam. He is our first father. Everybody who's ever been born in the entire world comes from Adam. He was the head representative. Unfortunately, Adam messed everything up and ruined us forever. Well, maybe not forever, because God sent another representative to fix it. Not just any representative, but himself. Jesus came as our representative. So here you have two fathers. You have Adam, who physically is your forefather, your fa your for the one who is you, you descend from. So when you're born physically, you're born of Adam. And then you have another father who you could be born supernaturally of. And we call that being born again. And that replaces the old father. Now what's cool about this is if you want to stick with this father, that's cool. And he's got an inheritance. Adam's got an inheritance that you can have. Like fathers pass down inheritance, right? So as Adam's heir, you will earn death. <laughs> and eternal damnation. But seriously, we're on this hand, your father, a supernatural father, a, the second representative who lived perfectly, fulfilled the will of God, was obedient, unlike the first one, and he's got an inheritance that's a little bit better, eternal life, forgiveness of sins, kingdom of God to dwell for all of eternity. Christ has given us life. He is the possessor of life. He has created all things. So we see that in John 1, right? So this is another way that Jesus is our Father in the sense that he gives life, right? Fathers give life. And we see in John 1 that in the beginning was the Word, which is another title for Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and he was, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Again, Jesus, and nothing without him. Was, was not anything made that was made. So it's all was made through Jesus. 
Christ, this everlasting Father, the Messiah, Messiah is the executor of God's holy will in which everything that has ever been made has been made. The Son of God has father-like characteristics in that he creates life. So these are all ways in which Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, is like an everlasting father to you. Now, everlasting. We don't want to skip over that word. We don't want to skip over the word everlasting. I know a lot of you in here, as you've been listening to this sermon, may have been struggling because you've lost your father. And I know it's hard for you to hear us talk about fathers today. Saying goodbye and losing your father, I would imagine, is one of the most difficult things to bear. I'm, I love my father, but the reality is, is physically, he's not going to be my father forever. I love my son, and while all of me wants to father him until his last days, the realistic re- reality says that I'm not going to be his forever father. Physically. I know this sermon got real sad real quick. (laughs) But let me bring you some encouragement for all of those who are thinking about this. There is one forever father. An everlasting father. Which means no goodbyes. Which means no passing away. Do you understand that Jesus is alive right now? That he's conquered death forever, that there is no goodbyes with Christ, ever, just hello and hugs, no passing away, your relationship with the everlasting Father is sealed, I love the way C.H. Spurgeon says it, he says, there's no unfathering Christ, and there's no unchilding us. That's the relationship we can have with Jesus as an everlasting father, as sons and daughters. The original translation in Hebrew for this passage, when it says everlasting father, is actually father of eternity. So one of the things that Jesus is a father of, we say everything, but it's it's not just everything, it's all of eternity, which is hard for us to grasp, right? Because we're finite, we're not eternal yet. So it's hard for us to think that Jesus could be the possessor and originator and, and, and holder of all of eternity. But scripture tells us that he is, as we just read. If that's the case, then Jesus is also the one, the only one, who can distribute it. If he possesses eternity, Jesus can distribute eternity. Isn't that good news? That Jesus can offer you, rightly, because he's the owner of it, as the Father, eternal life. No one else can make you that offer. Jesus can. Jesus can offer you eternal life. And so, as I close this morning, I just just want to go over a few questions that I, I pray that you're asking this season. Do you know Jesus as an everlasting Father? There's nothing more important in this Christmas season that you can ask yourself, but do you know Jesus? 
Is Jesus the one who represents you like a father would? Is Jesus the one who has given himself up for you? Do you find yourself as a son or daughter? Do you believe that Jesus holds the whole entity of eternity in his hands and like a good father freely gives you what he has? Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is offering you his inheritance, a free gift of eternal life? Do you believe that you can receive this inheritance even right now? The answer is yes. I pray that these are questions that you're asking yourself throughout this Advent season. I pray that as we look towards Christmas, which is like nine days away, I pray that as we look towards Christmas, we would dwell on these names of Jesus. I pray that for some of you, this would be the first Christmas that you understand the love that Jesus brought when he came down to dwell amongst us. I pray that this is the first Christmas you understand what we're really celebrating. The prophecy fulfilled of God coming to earth to rescue, to save, to deliver sinners from hell. You see, Jesus' birth fulfilled thousands of prophecies over centuries, showing that God keeps his promises, even if it includes the humility of becoming a part of his own creation an author going into the pages. Even if it includes dying to fix our brokenness, dying to secure our forgiveness, resurrecting to secure our righteousness. If this is true, everything else in God's word is true. I pray that we all know Jesus as an everlasting father. Come to him today. Say, I'm sorry. Take me into your family, Lord. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, how good you are that God and sinners would be reconciled based on your perfect plan to come yourself, Jesus, to come lowly, to be laid in a manger, to come as a baby, all to fulfill your scriptures. We thank you that this plan included us, Lord, that we could be counted amongst the number. And I pray, Lord, for all of us in here who are in need of an everlasting Father, that we would rid ourselves of whatever is keeping us from running into your loving, fatherly arms. I pray we come before your throne today with arms wide open, Lord, begging for you to pour your love, mercy, and grace upon us. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.